How about now? There we go. All right, it's great to see you. Jerry, you remind me of like my elementary. <laughs> that bubbly joy. It's contagious. I like it. Keep doing it. <clears throat> Wonderful. <laughs> By the way, all women praise band. You know, I, that, that's, that's, and I can't even come see it. We got the, we got the NBC version of the Dixie Chicks right here, and I can't even come see it. I can be a server. Is that the T? Oh, I'll have to break out my hat. All right. <laughs> How y'all doing? Are you coming, Steve? All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go hang outside together. <laughs> hey, I want to I wanna make an appeal. Uh, I, I've, I've been really wanting to know this doesn't just come from me. Uh, too many people now have really been putting the squeeze and the pressure on me to say something about this. But uh, our kids' center, we are really trying to make a push to get that done. And for the first time, the city has made some comments about it not being done. And uh, we have a major power poll being done the first part of this week. And Tuesday night, uh, Bob, Bob Fried has uh, agreed to come on out Tuesday night and help with a work party uh, to kind of get, get some stuff going. We, we've got a lot of stuff going. We're at the easy part now. Staining, painting, gluing, all that stuff. The, you know, the, all the hard part, the hard, you know, the... the, the the, the, the skilled stuff, a lot of that is past us, and we're really down to the nitty-gritty now. If you can give up uh, an evening this week to help move the ball forward, we'd really love to have it done by Easter. I think that'd be a great way to show the community uh, something new in our church. And so if that's something you can be a part of, uh, again, we're, we're asking for help. If you're retired, if you've got time, uh, we really, really need you. It's just getting to the point now where I, I've been kind of giving one full day of it a week, and it just, it's just dragging. It's just dragging way too much. And so if you can give out some help, if you've got some skills, Napoleon Dynamite there, you've got some skills, come on out, and uh, we would love to put those skills to work. And the second thing is uh, we're also, we could use a little help financially with the, with the Kids Center as well. I hate asking for any more money than all everybody normally gives because I know you, you give as much as you can. But if you just happen to come in uh, to a blessing or can give a little extra, if you look on your envelope, there's a little thing that says building fund. We might as well just rename that kid center because that's, that's what the building fund is right now. And we'd love to just get a little extra so we could, you know, kind of get some other things paid for and paid off and all that kind of stuff. So just wanted to throw that out there. Now all of those emails can stop. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Jesus. Thank you so much for our church this morning. Thank you so much for helping us to gather. We pray you'd open our mind and hearts to the Word of God now. In Jesus' name, amen. A worried mom sprang to the telephone when it rang and listened with relief when a kindly voice was on the other end of the line. How are you, darling? It said. What kind of day are you having? Oh, mother, said the housewife, breaking into bitter tears. I've had such a bad day. The baby won't eat. The washing machine is broken down. I don't even have a chance to go shopping. And besides, I sprained my ankle and now I have to hobble around. On top of that, the house is a mess and I have two couples coming over to dinner tonight. The mother was shocked and sympathetic. Oh, darling, sit down, relax, close your eyes. I'll be over in a half hour. I'll do your shopping. I'll clean up the house. 
I'll cook the dinner for you. I'll feed the baby and I'll call a repairman I know that will come over and fix the washing machine. How many of you wish you had a mother-in-law like that? I mean a mother like that. Did I say mother-in-law? This one will not go on the internet, just so you know. (laughs) Now stop crying. I'll do everything. In fact, I'll even call George at the office. It's about time that he came home and helped out for once. And all the wives said, no, just kidding. George? Who's George? Said the housewife. Mother replies, why, why George, your, your husband, isn't this 555-1374? No, this is 555-1375. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess I have the wrong number. There was a short pause and the housewife said, does this mean that you're not coming over? Hey, you never know what will happen if you just reach out and ask. Amen? (laughs) If I were to ask you to describe what God is like, what is God like? What what might you say? Would one of your answers be, God's a lot like the impersonal force in Star Wars, who's kind of there but not there. Is he simply the man upstairs? You know, that kind of that guy that's all over the universe, kind of somewhere out there, but again, there but not there. Is God that cruel judge who just takes such personal glee in the punishment of sinners? Aha! There's another one. Is he that kind of magical genie where if you rub the lamp a certain way, out pops out a genie that to do all of our bidding and give us whatever we wish for? Is he that powerless old grandfather who seems nice enough but doesn't really have any strength? Or would you describe him as your father or simply as your creator? What is God really like? Do we so take for granted all of the good things that come from God that we can so easily dismiss him as a fairy tale or a fable made up by old men grasping for their last grain of power when things don't go right? 2,000 years ago, the Jews, they struggled with the exact same question because they were under Roman domination. There was a downturn in the economy. All of these horrible things began to happen and they said to themselves this, if God were real, he would have done it already. And then they took it to the next thought. If God were good, he would have already saved us. Perhaps there is no God. Or, perhaps God is not good. And maybe you felt that way too at times. When pain and suffering have come your way. Jesus addresses these feelings in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn there, let's pick up the trail at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he comments on what he just said. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts 
to those who ask him. So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you look on your sheet, we've got uh, four quick things we're going to break down as far as what this means. And then four quick things about what to do with it. First of all, Jesus is kind of proclaiming loudly, confidently, and emphatically, God is not mean. First of all, when Jesus brings out the comparison, comparison of bread and fish, he is drawing upon a popular Jewish metaphor. Back in those days when you're traveling in the hot Israeli desert, a lot like the hot Buttonwillow Desert or the hot McKittrick Desert, it would be often that you would find round, smooth stones that looked a lot like bread. What we would think of maybe as pita bread. Okay? You'd see these stones off in the distance and you'd think, whoa, there's some bread that was left for a weary traveler. And you'd get up there and you'd pick it up and you would find it was just a stone. How disappointing would that be to be so hungry, to think God had provided you miraculously from the desert, just like he did the manna in the old days. Here it is. And it turns out to be a stone. Or you're a fisherman. And you've got what you think is a big fish on the other end of the line. But what you've actually caught is a sea snake or an eel. And in Lake Galilee, the sea snakes and the eels were poisonous to eat. So you either killed it, you threw it back, but it was of no use. In fact, it was lethal if you kept it. The emotion that Jesus is addressing is that feeling disillusioned or disappointed by God. How many of you have thought that God brought you bread only to find out it seemed to be a stone. How many of you were excited for fish only to find out it was lethal and you couldn't touch it? But you thought that it was God. But in the end, it turned out just to be a big disappointment. I've had that lots of times in my life. Times where I thought God was doing something wonderful and it just seemed to turn sour. Like the Jews, I began to question question whether God is real or God is good. And Jesus speaks directly to this and says, God's character and God's heart is not only good, but loving to us, not evil. Whatever you experienced, it was not God. It may have been the horrors of sin, but it was not God. Time and time again, Jesus would prove this. How? What did he multiply when he fed the thousands? He multiplied bread and fish. See the correlation? Time and time again, Jesus would contradict what our feelings can often drive us to think. That God is not good, God is not there, God is not real, and all of a sudden God is multiplying fish, God is handing out uh, bread, God is raising the dead, God is healing the sick. Jesus is the big counteractor to all this. But he come because he comes and shows us that God is not only good, he's a God of love and a God of grace. So number one, Jesus is trying to emphatically say, God is not mean. And when you think he is, think a little further on it. It's too easy to draw that conclusion. Number two, he's saying, God is good. When a new day comes, God is good. When we met our wives, husbands, God is good. When we met our husbands, wives, God is good. 
I only heard a few there. Let's say that again. When we met our husbands, wives, God is good. Come on. When our children are healthy, God is good. When we don't recognize God's goodness, we can often call it coincidence. But make no mistake, if you've seen good, you've seen God. If you've seen good on this earth, you've seen God. When God frees you from an addiction, God is good. You could have had a nervous breakdown, but God is good. Good things happening is not just fate, and it's not just destiny. When you wonder, did God do this good thing for me? The Bible says, yes. It says, yes. How many of you have ever had a thought just kind of pop into your mind, and you think, whoa, that's good. Whoa. How did I think of that? How did I think of that in the moment I needed to think of it? And you just have this little doubt that you're like, you know, I know I'm good. Maybe not that good. This, maybe this was from God. How many of you ever had that? It's just, it's almost too good to be true. God is good. Amen? Amen. Number three, God gives good. This is probably Jesus' big thesis statement of this passage. God gives good. He goes before us in our lives, in the timeline of our lives. God is going before us, preparing to give us good things, preparing to give us great favor, preparing to bring joy in moments of our lives. Jesus said God goes before and prepares those things so that as we're living, we almost catch up to the good things that God is giving us in the timeline of our life. Think of the story of Ruth and Boaz. For those of you who don't know, it's an Old Testament story. Ruth's husband, young husband, and she was a young lady, died. So she went with her mother-in-law back to Israel. But she's a widow. She's a foreigner. She's on the list least likely to ever get married. And she's a young woman. They're poor. God instructs a man named Boaz to have favor on her. In fact, he tells the young men, don't touch her. Don't violate her. And then he tells the young men, I want you to leave some of the heads of grain behind so that she can collect it for her family. And then finally, God, as a blessing to both of them, allows Ruth to become Boaz's husband. God gave Ruth good. Does that make sense? Actually, he gave her a rich husband. I'd say that's really good. (laughs) So number four, therefore, because God is not mean, God is good, and God gives good. Out of the goodness that God treats us, we treat others. I've heard some people say that the actual translation of this might be a bit of a misnomer. Because if you, ever, you, ever, if you look at the passage, that last verse comes out of nowhere. We're talking about the goodness of God and asking and seeking and knocking, and all of a sudden it's due unto others if you haven't done to you. And you kind of scratch your head a little bit like, yeah, I can see where that's a good thing to say, but why is that there? Another way to look at it might be, do unto others as God has done and is doing for you. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's, let's switch gears now. First one on what to do with this. These are statements I would say to myself. And the first one would be, finally, I'm going to ask. If you're like me, 
when things come my way, I, my natural reaction is not to pray. I know I'm a pastor. I know I should. But when things come, my natural reaction is to get worried, get fearful, start making phone calls, look at my bank account, start clenching my fists. You know, I mean, for some reason, when, when, when the stuff of life comes my way, I don't have this great super spiritual reaction. Well, why don't we sit down and pray about it? In fact, when somebody suggests that we should pray about it, I kind of growl inside because I didn't think of it first. Finally, I come to asking in prayer after I've reacted, got angry, you know, almost pulled all my hair out, <clears throat> which is a lot, by the way. I just want to make sure everybody <laughs> remembers that. How many of you know people who ask too much? Uh, they, we call them mooches or leeches. You just, you, they, they just, they <laughs> they're always asking for a handout. And there's this, this part of you that's like, oh, come on, you know. How many of you know the more proud type who never asked for anything? Can I help you? Nope, I'm good. I can do it myself. Here, let me get that for you. No, I got it. I got it. It's the type of person that almost feels incapable, incompetent, or inferior if they have to ask for help, so they never ask. And I get that. I am, I am the epitome of that. I'm preaching myself right now. I am often like that. I want to say, I'm not a child. I'm a man. I can do it myself. Back off. You insult me by even thinking that I need your help. What do you think I am, a loser? You know, I mean, we, we can get, you know. But there are some things in life that will never, ever come. Some things that we'll miss out on. We don't eventually one day come to the point of asking God for the things that are beyond us or even the things within our reach. For him to provide. And it's not always stuff. Sometimes it's a thought. Number two, faithfully, I'm going to seek. Seeking is a deeper level of prayer than asking. And I've had some people say, you know, really you should seek first and then ask. No. Jesus is quite, quite, quite at ease with just blurting out whatever comes to your feelings first. Jesus, I want this. Uh, Jesus, I got to talk about this. Jesus, we need this. Jesus, I mean, you, you can just fire it away. God loves it. What happens after that is then, then we seek. If I've just asked God of something, a lot of times I've got to now seek. Where's my motives in it? What, what's, what's going on in my heart with this? You know, am, I, am, I, am I being selfish with this? Or is there, is there a blessing in this with others that's going to happen? You know, is there, it is in asking and seeking that we begin to understand the will of God. But it is in our seeking that we learn to ask rightly, but more importantly, confidently. People who confidently pray are people who constantly seek God. Amen? Amen. Number three, firmly I am going to knock. Knock is an interesting biblical concept. We don't talk about it much, but it's a very Pentecostal concept. Because knocking talks about Entering in, enter in, enter in. It's a step of faith. To ask, to seek, to discover the will of God, now to enter in, to act on faith with what you sense God is saying. You may say, well, Tom, that's not just me. I'm not one of those who enters into God's presence or does something by faith or, does, you, know, that, that just, you know, that's just not me. And I would say, don't be locked into a cemented image of yourself. And here's why. 
because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so for me, I want to enter in to that place of the person who knows me better than me. Because I don't know me very well. I'm not the best authority on my own life, let alone my own sanity. Enter in. And then last but not least, finally, I'm going to give. Anybody heard the story of Catherine Laws? Let me tell it to you. The people told her, don't ever set foot in that prison. But Catherine Laws, whose husband was a warden at Sing Sing in New York in 1921, went anyway. The first time that there was a prison basketball game, she went, all three daughters in tow, and sat in the bleachers with the inmates. When she heard that one convicted murderer was blind, she learned Braille so that she could teach it to him. Upon hearing that some of the other inmates were impaired, she studied sign language so that she could sign the Bible to them. For 16 years, Catherine Laws softened the hard hearts of the men at Sing Sing. But in 1937, a terrible tragedy occurred. She died in a car accident. One day, when Mr. Laws did not show up for work, the inmates knew something was wrong. Three quarters of a mile down the road, Catherine was being uh, laid out in a funeral showing at the law's home. All of the inmates sat, as the, sat on the fence or leaned on the fence watching car by car go by to pay their respects. The acting warden took one look at the teary-eyed men and the look on their faces and he made a decision that has never been made in the history of the U.S. prison system or made since. He allowed the prisoners out of the gates to walk the three-quarter miles unguarded to pay their final respects to this woman who had treated them with such dignity and such respect and to a man none of them left none, not all of them came back to a man and we're reminded what can happen when love is lived out and the words of Jesus are taken seriously. When God has been good to you, it's quite easy to be good to others. I want to close with one more story. This one's a little more near and dear to my heart. I don't know why I identify it, I just do. There's a story about a little boy who had joined the Cub Scouts. I believe this story must take place many years ago. And he had signed up for the Pinewood Derby. How many of you know what a Pinewood Derby is? Yeah. It's where they make those little cars and then, and then I what do you, let them, let them go and they go down a hill or something like that. And so this little boy had signed up for the Pinewood Derby. Billy, he had come home from a Cub Scout meeting charged with creating his very own car and he was supposed to give all of the materials to dad but that was something that Billy could not do dad never came home from the war thousands of miles away from family mom did her best to read all the directions and the boy did his best to create a car 
The car ended up being a bit lopsided. The paint was uneven and the wheels could barely roll, but Billy was proud of his car. Betty, however, dreaded the day of the race. Would she be the only mom standing next to a room full of dads as the boys raced her cars? A proud woman who had trouble asking for help from anybody, she decided to get on her knees and ask God to help her through the day and to spare Billy the humiliation and embarrassment that may come from not having his dad there. On the way to the race, Betty blew a tire. Betty was not prepared to change a tire. She could barely remember how to do it and was unsure where the spare tire would even be. Betty buried her head in the steering wheel, feeling embarrassed that she'd ever prayed at all, sobbing into the wheel, wondering how she was ever going to raise a son on her own. And in the midst of the tears, all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock on the window. George and Peggy McDermott were a couple that she had met in the church she was attending. And they were knocking loud on the window. Betty, are you okay? Betty, are you in there? Betty, is that you? Betty was startled. She began to wipe the tears from her face and clean up all the makeup. And George opened the door and helped Betty out. When George found out about the race, he said, hey, we'll all go. And George and Peggy and Betty and Billy, they all entered the race. But that's not the end of the story. You see, as they entered the race, George began to melt as he realized that all of the boys were up there with their dads and that Billy would either go alone or broken down Betty would go up there with him. So in a moment... George looked over at Betty and said, Betty, would you mind if I stood behind Billy for the last race? Betty couldn't hold back the tears, and she said, oh, that would be wonderful. Billy's car came in dead last. But after the race, George and Billy were talking about the car, and Betty, from a distance, could see Billy smiling, and Billy laughing, and George laughing, and George smiling, and they seemed to just be having this great conversation, and they were just going on and on and on, and George runs up to Betty and grabs her arm and says, with your permission, Billy and I, we're going to make another car for the next race. I think him and I can really build a winner. Billy runs up to Betty and just begins to shout, Can we, Mom? Can we? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have called us to find those Billies of the world and treat them as we would want to be treated if we were in that situation. God, we don't know why bad things happen all the time, why dads don't come home from wars, why wars often begin in the first place. And we have questions for the billies who are left behind. God, I pray that you would raise up the Georges. 
you would raise up the Peggy's who are the answers to prayer. Prayers prayed out of desperation. Prayers prayed out of pain. Prayers prayed out of disillusionment. Prayers prayed not knowing what we ask for. But God, you are not mean, you are good. God, you give good. Therefore, out of your goodness, let us be a people who give to others. To become the people that Jesus Christ died to save. God, that we would have the courage and make room in our schedule for others. may the Lord bless you may he keep you may the good God who gives good cause his face to shine upon you he'll only do you good he'll only do you good in Jesus name amen God bless you all have a great week great Sunday Uh, if you would like some further prayer come on forward If you'd like to talk about a relationship with Christ and what that means, come on forward as well.